0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Speculative Work. I'm James Aaron. I'm a science fiction writer. And this podcast is an author diary of my work, goals, fumbles, and lessons. So hopefully you don't make the same mistakes I did or that I do. This week, I'm looking back on 2018. um, The things I accomplished didn't get done, learned, or tried for the first time. (laughs) So uh, this is my first um, retrospective kind of podcast or even just retrospective um you know post in general i it's funny it's the kind of thing that i always wish that i did but i i just don't and <laughs> i've kept journals in the past and again i don't end up looking back on them so um i'm hoping this is of value to some folks um, i'll start out by talking about where i was at the beginning of the year and then um, how things changed and what has changed so far um, as we're heading into 2019. But first, some updates. So, I was feeling a little bit of resistance, personally, around doing this podcast again. <laughs> I, I, I learned last time that I really don't like it if I have to record it twice. I had a YouTube live malfunction, I had recorded most of the episode, and, well I'd recorded all of the episode, and then I went back to look at it and realized that it only recorded eight minutes. Um, it took me a while to psych myself up to record again. <laughs> and, and then this time around, I I knew that this was, you know, the, I wanted to do some kind of retrospective, but um, again, it was um, actually making myself do it has been a little bit of, um, I don't know, there I have to make myself jump in and do it. It's just funny how these things kind of needle at you, you know, and when I I'm the kind of person that I'm always trying to figure out how I could potentially make something better. Um, so I want to find ways to not put obstacles in front of myself. And so if that means just getting out and doing it as opposed to worrying about how good it sounds or am I going to be completely smooth in my delivery or things like that, um, I I don't want that stuff to get in the way. So something that I was thinking about was the fact that I have been recording an average of 40 minutes a show, which is much longer than I thought it was going to be. I was thinking that I would only record, you know, like 20 minutes at the most. So apparently I can talk a lot. Um, we'll we'll see how much value there is in that. Um, but anyway, over the last week, that's really, I've been thinking about what I would do for this show coming up. And then I've been um, just Nose to the Grindstone working on Lunar Uprising. And one of the things that I realized about um, the book, which I, I don't think I talked about last week, was I was starting in the wrong place. And something that I've always known about myself is that once I know what I'm gonna write, I, I can write pretty fast. But if I don't know what I'm gonna write or I realize that where the character is in the story is not exciting to me, it, it becomes a real chore. I mean, I can do that work, but it, it's hard. Well, I realized I was writing a prison break and I was spending way too much time on the information leading up to the part that I was excited about, which was getting the character out of the prison. And I also realized that by doing that, I was creating too much backstory that wasn't germane to what was going to happen you know, with the story itself. And something I've been aware of with this book number one in this series is that I wanted it to be different than... Um, The Way I Did Lissa's Dream, which is the first book in The Sentience Wars Origins, I mean also my first five book series that I really ever wrote. Um, That book was a bit of discovery writing because I was fleshing out the characters as I wrote and in doing that I was kind of jumping back and forth in time writing stuff from their past with the idea that it would all come together at the end of the book and then move forward into um, book two. Well a lot of the Feedback. I mean, really the only negative feedback that I've gotten on that book is that people don't like the time jumps. They want to start with a character and then move forward um, with that character. And if there's going to be any kind of information from the past, the character should be communicating that as they go. You know, there shouldn't be a whole like chapter stop. We've moved back in the past 20 years and now we're going to tell we're going to kind of reorient the reader in a completely different time frame with a different version of the character. who's basically a different character and i get why that would throw people out in fact one of the first things that michael cooper said to me when he read it is like readers are not going to like um the flashbacks and and he was right um so i'm trying not to do that and that meant finding the right place to start the story and also kind of the right scope to use in looking at the story and where the character is how much information they have about their own situation how long they were in the prison. Um, all these things because I didn't wanna create this whole other version of the character um, to have to kind of get past or introduce in a way that was gonna bog the story down. So I actually dumped about 11,000 words. Um, So I have a whole different opening for the book and now I'm um, just on about 11,000, probably I think I hit 12,000 words today into the new version. And things are moving really fast. it's it's coming much easier and it's also just kind of a bit more fun because I was able to introduce a character I wanted to get to a little bit later in the story sooner um, because I realized like that was get to the good stuff now like get to the stuff that you're excited about and then keep put, dumping on more good stuff and more conflict to give the character things to deal with um, that's interesting and exciting and so that's kind of where I'm at with it I'm finding it's a lot more fun so it's you know, with the baby, I have to, you know, I'll write for a little bit. Then I go do something and come back, write for a little bit. And it's very hard to get into flow state when you're doing that. But I find that if I, it's kind of like watching a movie where I've gotten to a certain point. I have an idea what's going to happen. Okay, we need to pause, <laughs> pause Netflix, um, go do what I got to do. Then come back and, oh, look, the, you know, the fighter is hanging in midair. It's got missiles coming at it. Um, characters responding to that. Um, engine's about to fail. Boom story is just right back into it and start writing again. So things are easier. Uh, so that's good. And that's really just what I've been doing. Um, been doing some, some finishing some reading this week. I am just about done with this is marketing by Seth Godin. Um, it's a good book. Like I had said, if you listen to his podcast, it might not be a lot of like super new stuff to you, but I think that it's really good foundational stuff to think about audience building and messaging that you want to communicate to folks, and really getting to kind of fundamental reasons of why people want certain things. And so he, you know, he's talking about it from you know selling widgets kind of perspective. But I think as a writer, um, one of the things that's been really key to me, I, you know, a change in my thinking a couple years ago, but. It's focusing on the reader, on the audience, and reader experience, you know, and reader experience trumps everything. I've been spending so much time kind of focused on editors and my writing group and writing as its own sort of, you know, White Castle thing to aspire to, when none of that matters, you know, it's the, it's the reader. It's what the reader feels when they read your work. Um, and that can be hard to pin down in itself. But again, what does the reader want? Why did they pick up this book in particular to read it? You know, what attracted them to it? Uh, what promise does the cover make? And then, what promise does the story fulfill? And then, do they want to maintain a relationship with you going forward? You know, how do you build these kind of super fan relationships with people that are bought into what you're trying to to accomplish um, or to offer? Really, like, what is your offer? Is something that he talks about a lot. Um, and then how can you really drill down, you know, think about who is not your audience and don't be afraid to say, like, this is not for you. And how do you identify ways um, to really help make that decision uh, when it comes to choosing your audience or maintaining your audience? And there's another book um, that I'll talk about that I read this year that uh, got to that called um, The Perennial Seller. Um, and I'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, The other book I've been listening to, I've been kind of moving back and forth, is Revolt of the Public by Martin Gurry. And this is a political science book. Uh, He's a political scientist. And it's really focused on social changes that have been brought about by a networked uh, public, you know. And what, what was the idea of the public even back in, say, the 1930s or even the 18th century, moving forward today where people have information but can't necessarily trust the information they have. And what does that mean for governments that, um, you know, he's right now, I'm only about halfway into the book, but he's really been focused on the Arab Spring and Egypt and what happens when a regime tries to crack down on information and what effect that has on ability to govern. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot in terms of this book is... um, Another one that I read last year called The Future of Violence, and I'll talk about that as a counterpoint to this because, again, it talks about asymmetric threats where you have uh, non-state actors that have the ability to leverage uh, tools of mass destruction asymmetrically against the government and what happens when a government cannot provide fundamentally for the protection of its people. Um, and so these, you know, these are some interesting books that I'm kind of uh, digesting. Um, Revolt of the Public is very dry. Uh, it's it's interesting stuff because I you know I remember uh, you know a lot of these things as they were going down um, in 2014 and such, and 2011 is another year he's really focused on. But it's it's hard to listen to it continuously, so I have to kind of back up and listen again. And I actually bought the the print version so I can go and highlight some stuff. Um, this is marketing is almost like it's so pithy. I think would be the word like he he just throws out these one-liners that on the surface seem like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. But then you go back and you think about it and you realize it's the kind of thing that um, I got the print copy of that as well, because I really wanted to be able to spend some time, you know, think looking at and thinking about these ideas that he's um, bringing up. Um, Another book I've been kind of just dipping in and out of is called Utopia is Creepy by Nicholas Carr. And it's a grouping of Uh, blog post that he did from I want to say the earliest starts in 2005 and goes up to I think it ends in 2016 and so that's kind of just interesting to read like this sort of social history of online activity and just online things and you know things people said back in the day like you know rock... The Beatles for Rock Band is going to change people's interactions with music and the way they consume music, and blah blah blah. At the time, I was I was working at Target, and it being the holidays right now, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about like those times that I spent in retail, You're know, trying to manage a, a store selling junk to people, and and Rock Band was, you know, I think in 2006, you no, know, it had to be 2010. I think that's what he was talking about. Rock Band was just it was the thing, like you know $200 item we'd have a pallet of them and people would just go nuts if they didn't get their rock band um, you know and now it's 2018 and i can't remember the last time i heard somebody mention rock band <laughs> so it's just funny how these things kind of flow in and out and so reading utopia is creepy which is these little like you know 500 to 1000 word um essays about various kind of zeitgeisty things is uh it's entertaining and it's kind of funny too cuz i've been reading it to um my seven month old daughter is. I'm trying to get her to go to sleep. And so I think she just likes the sound of my voice. But then I can kind of think about, like, what is, what is her world going to be like, you know, 20 years from now when who knows what new, um, you know, social madness is, is shaking the, the foundations of the world. <laughs> anyway, um, so that, that's kind of this week feels like it's flown by. Uh, I think that's the difficult thing about doing weekly updates is that you often feel like, well, wait a second, what, what did happen? Okay, a lot happened, but uh, again, it's just the flow of things that goes by so fast. So, and and that, I think, for me is 2018. Um, When I, going into 2018, um, my my wife was pregnant, so we knew um, our daughter was coming, and so there was a lot of anticipation around that, knowing that things were going to change, and I was already going through some personal change um, myself, so I had been in an interim position at work for a job, a director level job that I had, you know, had most of my, my career uh, at the university where I work had been focused on, this was the job I wanted. And so I got the interim position and then knew that I was going to need to interview to get the actual position and of course there's you know stress around the idea of interviewing and i'm already doing this job and what if some other person from you know across the country that has more expertise than me or whatever applies like what's going to happen then you know and so i went through the interview in january got the job in february and kind of moved forward you know things didn't change too much except that now i i had the job so that was that was good that was some good stability for with the baby coming that things weren't going to change um drastically but we knew that uh she was coming in may and so that was going to be i I knew that i needed to get a lot of a lot of things done to get ready for that like work-wise i was actually pretty fortunate because i i was able to take um six weeks off and then my work uh, you know working for a university things were busy up until end of spring term and then summer term comes around and things really slow down um and so summer was relatively uh not a lot happening work-wise, so it wasn't difficult for me to take time off. But I went into 2018, uh, basically two books done and published on the Sentience Wars Origins, needing to finish three the three books to finish out the series. And I had never finished a series before, so I'd never even written a series uh, to be able to say if it was good or bad or indifferent, right? So. Focused on that knew it was something that I needed to get done and um and I did it you know i finished uhlyssa's flame was published in end of uh in June, and I finished writing the book actually um I think I'm pretty certain I was on paternity leave, so after the baby had come, but I was off from work, so I was able to you know even in dealing with you know all all the baby things um was able to get the book done and to feel like I feel pretty I feel proud of that book. Um I think that the response that I've gotten has been very uh positive and if anything it's just kind of set me up for <laughs> being worried about the next series, but also helping me make some decisions about the kind of books that um, I'll be writing going forward that I think are kind of a little more tightly aligned with Anne 14, the world that I'm writing in. And a little more um, just focused on what the readers, I think, want from from these books. But I'm still very proud of the books that I wrote and the fact that I was able to get them done in the time that I did. Um, obviously, if I had been doing this in a different sort of publishing model, you know, I a five book series could take 10 years to get out in traditional publishing. And we pushed out a five book series in less than two years. You know, I... When I look back on 2018, one of the biggest accomplishments for me is that I wrote uh almost 600,000 words um by all told. And I mean, I'm still still cranking out words on book 1 in uh the next <laughs> Sentience wars um Solar War 1. But even uh well, it was a big change when the baby came because I was able to be very consistent um going up until, you know, even the day of her birth where I could get up at a certain time, write for a certain amount of time, and really know that I was going to get work done. And then after that, everything kind of got thrown out the window as far as when I was gonna have time to work. And fortunately, I would finished most of Lyssa's Flame you know, before she was born, so it was just a matter of editing at that point. But then when I went into Proteus Bridge, um, realized that just things were gonna be very different. I couldn't count on the same, <laughs> the same plan I'd had before. And Proteus Bridge was even a different book to write because it wasn't something I could work on in a linear fashion. And I think I've kind of realized I'm a pretty linear writer. Like I, Even though I'll make an outline, and the outline might jump around um, from character to character, I still like to write things in order. I don't write the, fin- you know, the end first or anything like that. Um, so *Proteus Bridge was uh, a book that started actually with a novella from the Pew Pew ser- um, anthologies that Michael had put together. And so it was this kind of goofy, fun um, anthology thing. And I wrote a tie in for it because i I wanted to be part of it. I had the opportunity to do that, and that was cool. But I ended up creating or kind of building on some characters that had um definitely had a part to play in sentient Wars origins, but um were not center stage and I also like something weird happened where I can't remember why I included this character of a gray parrot, but people just love the parrot. And so that um, I really wanted to flesh that story out and kind of build on some ideas and thinking about, you know, the idea of uplifted animals or even anthropomorphic fiction, where you're looking at things from, you know, another species point of view um, and what that would look like. And I I didn't necessarily even go in as deep to it as you probably, you know, could. you don't want to lose readers too much but it was a lot it was a lot of fun and that book had its own challenges because i had an existing novella and then i ended up writing two additional novellas to flesh it out and some kind of bridging material in between which meant that book kind of had some of the same difficulties as Alyssa's dream because it's got a lot of time jumps and people don't readers don't like time jumps if you take one thing away if you're writing genre science fiction um you know, obviously, I I kind of like I think the dissonance that a time jump can bring, or looking at things from different perspectives, or even a sense of scope. But I think in some cases, uh, I'm writing to an audience that um, doesn't appreciate those things. At least I know that, and then, um, in some cases, the audience might not be paying as much attention as I would like. Uh, in certain cases, because I've gotten feedback sometimes where I'm like, thinking, did did you read that? Because I. I pretty much addressed that thing you're talking about, but for some reason, they just didn't see it. Um, and time jumps, I think, make it difficult for people if they're not like fully engaged with something to kind of know where they're at in the story. Um, so that was the challenge with Proteus Bridge. And then Vesta Burning I've talked about before, um, but getting that book done was really kind of the test of moving into this new phase of my life and the new situation on how, how to produce work um, with the baby, <laughs> my wife and I have had lots of discussions about how to make this work, and it's still, you know, a work in progress, so we'll get there, um, but, you know, writing is more than a hobby at this point, and I think at least I kind of have that going for me, where it's not like I'm, you know, hiding out in the garage uh, playing a video game or something, you know, this this is something that is producing income for us, but it's also... It's a hard thing to quantify all the time, because for me, being there mentally makes it a challenge to get pulled out of that space all the time. And so we're finding ways to, okay, when the door's closed, I'm, I'm working, you know, but when I'm working, I got to be working. I can't be in, uh, I can't be in here wasting time and things like that. Um, so that was a big focus of 2018. And I would say 2018 is the first year with all these kind of new demands that, I really had to focus and think about distractions for myself, um, because I I just realized how precious the time is that I have, and so much of my life is full of distractions, you know, from social media to my phone to, um, you know, just people needing me throughout the day. Like my job is pretty much twenty four seven, so if my job needs me, I I got to do that. But then when I have a piece of time to set aside and focus on writing. Um, I need to do that, too. I can't let something else pull my time away. So I spent some really conscious effort on like unfollowing everything on Facebook. I, I still use Facebook for some things I'll talk about here in a second, so I can't completely be off it. But I can control the ways that Facebook can kind of steal my time. I closed down my Twitter account. Um, I actually closed down my personal Facebook account because I didn't, um, I didn't need it. Like it just wasn't, I realized that I was kind of carrying the weight of all these people I've known from different phases of my life. And in reality, I wouldn't necessarily have talked to any of them anyway. So I I actually let that go. And now the only Facebook I have is the one that I created for my, uh, the pen name, James Aaron, Um, which is fine. You know, if people really want to find me, they can. But then also with unfollowing people, I'm more deliberate about if I want to know what's going on with somebody, I look them up. You know, I don't kind of let things just enter into my headspace. Um, I also, like, I turn off all the notifications on my phone, except for, like, the key ones that have to do with work. Um, It's almost, it's kind of empowering, you know. Like, the minute you have to install a new app to just turn it off so it can't, you know, give you notifications. (laughs) Um, I've almost reached the point where because I get so few phone calls, actually, and right now we're just in this flood of spam, calls. Like I don't even want the phone to interrupt me with phone calls. I want, you know, most of the people, if they want to get hold of me, they text me or send me an email and I get those, you know, immediately. So, um, so that was a lot of 2018 as well. Um, another big thing that changed for me in 2018, aside from writing, um, was I became an admin for the 20 books to 50 K Facebook group. And when I first started exploring, um, independent publishing, I came across a site called K Boards, which K Boards was a subset of Kindle Boards, a, a website that was started basically just to help people, you know, manage their Kindles. And then this was like a forum that came up for authors, and it was a huge source of information. Like I spent just like four months just reading everything, like going back through all these old threads, you know, getting a sense of how things had changed in the industry just in the time that that site was alive. And then I want to say it was in 2016, a guy named Michael Anderley had talked about what he was doing, which was kind of taking some ideas from the software industry or mar- even marketing industry, really, with the idea of the minimum viable product, getting that on Amazon, getting feedback and then moving forward. And this was an idea that kind of flew in the face of the very, the traditional publishing model. Um, but it kind of made, like one of the things, I think the key things that Anderle did was make his books kind of interactive in a way where he responded to his readers. He involved them in the development of later books, like brought them on as beta readers, had, you know, used leverage tools like Facebook um, to really involve readers in the process. And his Katherian Gambit, series which you know admittedly had issues in the beginning is now you know a multimillion dollar uh series. Well this guy appears on keyboards and he's writing about these things and you know granted he's got a very um I'm not going to call it confrontational but he a lot of personality comes out in his writing and you know that can rub some people the wrong way especially if they don't like what he's talking about and they basically kind of chased him off keyboards and so he had made a Facebook group and what the guy was saying, like, one of the things that I've really tried to internalize when it comes to the state of publishing these days is that everything I know about publishing has changed. And I've been, I first submitted um, a manuscript to Delray Books when I was uh, 13, back in 1991. <laughs> so I've been, like, send, you know, having this idea of publishing for a long time, and then, you know, running a small press from... 2000 to 2008 before ebooks really took off kind of missing that whole thing but knowing how it worked um you know if there's anything that I've learned it's that it's changing we're in the midst of a transition and you can't completely throw out somebody's idea because you never know when it's going to resonate you never know when you know a technology has come along is going to come along and this is its moment um and it's going to hit and I think that style of publishing it hit and he's been doing you know now he's branched out basically he has um, has expanded his publishing into uh, a company and he's like a lot of you know you hear about this more in romance I think but he's doing it with his universe Um, publishing almost a book a week and in fact it might even be more than that I want to say and he's very, very, very successful. Um so he had started this twenty books to fifty K group and I, I joined it and it was relatively small to begin with. But at this point, um it has expanded to it's just under twenty seven thousand members now and it has basically replaced K boards as the kind of first stop for people that want to know more about this self publishing thing um on Facebook at least. And it's it's a closed group, so it's grown by word of mouth. Um, but as it's grown, like the way that it needs to be managed has changed very much. And so I came on as a wave of like the initial admin folks were leaving, and then a new group came in. And at first we only had 10 new admins, and it was very overwhelming. And we brought in 10 more, so we're at about 20 now. Um, but we, we kind of instituted some changes to help you know, deal with the influx of like zombie member requests we get all the time. And then uh, trying to balance, you know, how do you keep experienced folks engaged in the group with all the the constant influx of new, new people that are coming in? And part of the problem is that Facebook makes it incredibly difficult to search for information. And so you're just always in this instantaneous moment of, you know, whatever post is most recent and whatever people can kind of scroll to on their phone, you know, um, and so, it's been but the thing that i've learned a ton about like i never really admined a group before and so learning um basically just how many writers are out there and how much of a churn like you know i would kind of dealt with the slush pile before editing a magazine and having a small press but our small press was still very very niche and people that only you know people only learned about us because they knew about us you know from other people um with this, there's just so many people all the time, and it just really shows you like how many people want to write books, and then they might join the group, how many people actually do write books, and then how many people get to the point on Amazon where they are advertising the books and really focusing on marketing and the market in a way to be successful, where they transition from writers to publishers, you know, to really that in, that successful independent publisher, which is what you need nowadays, because if i've learned any really learned anything in 2018 it's that um independent publishing is publishing i always knew that but you can't get by just being a writer you know if you're going to if you're going to make a book it's a product it's it's approaching a market it's making a promise to that market and everything you need to do to be successful is also all these other skills um arrayed there and so that's why now i think 2018 saw a lot of writers coming together or writers that have been successful gathering teams to them kind of like what I've been doing with Michael Cooper and Anne 14 and so it allows me to be a writer but also you know I can do as much marketing as I as I want or have time to do but it's not determining my success Um, obviously I you know made a deal to get there and um, have a royalty situation but for me I've got you know, a good piece of a much larger pie than I would have had before. So, and it's still better than traditional publishing um, as far as what, how my royalty shares work. So, so being an admin in 20 books has really showed me that I think I'm, I'm really fortunate to have got the, um, the relationship that I have now with Aon 14 and Michael Cooper, and then also, you know, as writers kind of sift through, you know, from these various levels of information, um, you know, I again feel fortunate to be part of the the team that I am because you know Michael Cooper has made a really good name for himself not only as a writer and with Anne fourteen, but also as a a person who's been really savvy about understanding advertising and shifts in advertising, um, and things like that. And the the growth in twenty books to fifty k has been um, it's not stopping it's not slowing down. So I think the challenge is going to be with you know how people use Facebook if they continue to use Facebook. And then, if there is some way to transition out of there at some point, um, I don't know. But um, I've learned I've learned a bunch of that, and it's been really, um, really interesting. It's not glamorous by any means, and it's not like anybody was recognizing me at the uh, the conference I went to this last year. But it's it's nice to be helpful when I can be. Um, it also makes Facebook a little bit more like if I log in, I'm not just mindlessly doing anything. Like I kind of log in intentionally. I spend time doing some admin stuff on the site or on the group, and then go do, you know, some fan interactions and stuff like that, and then I'm done. Um, I've also pared my Facebook down just to a couple, I'm a, I allow myself to see art from some different science fiction, um, groups that, sh- that share classic science fiction art, and that's pretty much it, um, so it's made Facebook more intentional for me as well, um, and then the, uh, the 20 Books to 50K conference happened this year in November, and that was, um, That was a lot of fun. It was really great to go back the second time around and and see people I met the first year, but also feel like um, how these things are are becoming more professional. Uh, People are building careers, but then already people that were there the first year were not there the second year. So I'm just really curious what all this is going to look like, um, you know, five years from now. And if if we're in anything, it's just this time of change. And how do you focus on fundamental skills that help you? weather and recognize change um so that you're not you know building your core business on sand you know that's gonna uh sift away underneath you um so that's been 2018 i i feel pretty good about the last year i mean i obviously accomplished um i feel good about what i accomplished i feel like i've been making the right decisions um i'm going to talk about you know goals for 2019 in another uh, I think my next podcast so I don't want to get into that now but um, I certainly don't feel like I was making the wrong decisions and there have been years in my life when I did feel like I was making the wrong decisions when I look back on 2013 which was actually I guess the end of 2012 going into 2013 was when my distillery business I basically had to uh, leave that business and tell my business partner I couldn't do it anymore because I, I couldn't stand being in that much debt and I wasn't it certainly wasn't making me happy. Um, that was a bad year. Um, and then the year that I actually left Target was 2011. Um, and so there have been some big transition years for me. This has been the first year that, you know, in 2013 I started writing, I started going to the Wordos. Um, I started being really intentional about my writing. And this is the year that kind of all those things have paid off. And so when people talk about you know overnight success, obviously I've been working on this for five years now, which is crazy to me how fast that time has gone. Um, but it feels like a a progression, a positive progression, and I'm only you know just really excited about where it's going to be, even five years from now. You know I'm 43 years old. Um, when I think about what my life could look like in five years, like when my daughter is five. Um, I could very much, could potentially be a full-time writer. I could still be at the university and, and doing what I'm doing now and being very uh, satisfied by that. So so we'll see. I feel like um, if anything, you know, with the the way the world is, uh, you know, Joanna Penn talks all the time about multiple streams of income and I am pretty firmish, firmly playing it safe with multiple streams of income, but still being very satisfied by what I'm doing. You know, I don't feel like I'm giving up things for the way my life is right now and we'll see how that feels a year from now so that'll be that'll be interesting to see when because you know because next year I'll have another series done um if not two series with you know one waiting to be published uh so some standout books that I read this year I wanted to touch on that um The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly it is kind of a foundational book that talks about changes in technology and how certain things are most likely and, you know, obviously inevitable things are inevitable, um, but, you know, what we can see going forward. And one of the key concepts that he talks about is like all digital media basically becoming free. Like if something can be free, it will be free. So as an artist, what are you doing to leverage those experience products or um, what are your core strengths that cannot be made digital or replicated? And how can those things, uh, you know, become streams of income for you so that you can do your work and live, you know, um, and still make money, you know. So that, that's that been a great book. Um, I That was a book I read slowly because I needed time to think about everything that was going on in there. Um, Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. So that's a book that talks about what are the key uh, components that make uh, either, like he focuses a lot on bands, but some books. I think his book... Examples are not as strong as the band examples, but what builds you core audiences? What builds you super fans? What is it about certain products that make them, you know, live forever or keep people either buying in or investing in those artists? And a lot of really interesting things like, you know, coming, I think especially coming from a traditional model where you might be for publishing, where you might be focused on trying to reach as broad or satisfy as broad an audience as possible. um, He really argues against that. And it also ties into some things I think that Seth Godin talks about where, you know, in the past we're all used to the big three networks, you know, on TV, satisfying a broad range of people. Well, then cable comes along, disrupts that model, and now you've got people moving to the edges and trying to segment a market as tightly as possible because there's still millions to be made in those sliver segments, um, which is also why you kind of get chaos from, you know, these... uh, kind of shocking things that appear because they're trying to get people's attention um but that's you know perennial seller by ryan holiday was uh was a great book with a lot of things to think about um when it comes because one of the things I've, I've been thinking a lot a lot with ebooks is the whole idea of an evergreen ebook and how you know with a fresh coat with a new cover and an update an ebook could potentially live forever and people you know 50 percent of books sold on amazon are more than 10 years old right now in the ebooks and so You know, you look at Terry Brooks, he got the uh, Shannara TV series, and now, like, his backlog, his his back catalog is just continuing to sell and continuing to get updates and continuing to get marketing behind it. And um, it becomes this huge powerhouse, you know, just culture generator that um, didn't exist, you know, even five years ago. And I think it's, you know, Terry Brooks is a guy that uh, has just been consistently producing work the whole time that I've been reading. And so it's really interesting to see how he's transitioned, his books have transitioned to a place where they're could they gathering new readers, you know, continuously. Um, I read a book called They Thought They Were Free by Milton Meyer. And this was actually kind of an essay written in the 50s by, he was a, I want to say he was a social studies professor of some kind who got a grant to go live in Germany um, right after the end of World War II. And he spent a lot of time just hanging out with and talking and interviewing people like low-level people who had been in the Nazi party and it really this book has some great passages that get to kind of how changes happen in the culture and how a, a society can move towards authoritarianism or even totalitarianism not by these kind of massive incidents that people look back and can stand up and say you know yeah I did something about that you know Kristallnacht you know smashing the windows of Jewish businesses on one night was a thing that potentially you could protest against. But he basically shows that that's not, that was the outlier. You know, it was more the, the thousands of little incidents that, you know, you put you at risk or your family at risk or made your child you feel unsafe for your children that let things happen until you reach a point where, um, there's no saying no. And it's a really, it's a very, I don't know. it. I, you hate to humanize people that have made these um, kinds of decisions, but it's a book that really gets you thinking about how these are real people that made terrible decisions, and and it's it's the kind of thing that could happen at any point in history. It, it could be happening today. Um, quick read. I, I actually listened to it on um, Audible, and uh, it was it was fascinating. Uh, the Book of Dust by Philip Pullman. That was a new one in um, His Dark Materials. And I just, I love Philip Pullman. Um, a really great, uh, he uses tension very well. He uses, you know, establishing new characters. He's got just a, a specific and, and beautiful way of writing that um, I really enjoyed. Also, I think that dipping back into a world that everyone knows was a challenge. And I thought he did a really um, excellent job with that, with his characters. Um, Numbercast by, I'm going to mess up his name, but Yunjaya Weiratni, um, I will put the, if you look up Numbercast, um, you'll find it. But, so this is a book that's kind of playing on the idea that, uh, you know, China has rolled out with a kind of social number that dictates, um, you know, what kind of credit you can get, what sort of options are available to you in life. And it's a book that's written kind of as a memoir sort of as a found document and it's definitely you know near future dystopia that was really powerful and I, I it's one of those books that I found myself thinking about quite a bit because you sort of see reflections of these ideas all over the place and we live in a time when you know not quite sure which way the future is going to bend and something like this that is happening in China right now um could it happen in you know the rest of the world could the idea of the credit score start playing into a social media rating of some kind and we've had companies that have tried to do this and it didn't take but i think we've seen this um again and again in our current sort of tech um milieu is that just because an idea is early doesn't mean it's not an idea that will take off and so with the right circumstances these this kind of um you know ranking number for people could come up again? And then what, what kind of world will we be living in? And that ties into another book that I read this year, um, Mother Night by Kurt Vonnegut, which I had always meant to get around to and just hadn't. Um, And again, so it's about a propagandist, um, an American propagandist living in Germany who ends up basically doing radio shows for the Nazi party. And then being Vonnegut, it's not sensationalist during the war it's about the aftermath after the war and what this guy is dealing with when he basically can't everybody thinks that he is what he was on the radio and he will try and say that he's not but ultimately it is what he is right and so um, it's something to think about when it comes to you know when I think about marketing and when I think about things I see online now where it seems like people are pandering to certain political ideologies to sell books and things like that and I wonder what the world's going to look like and you know, a few years, will those people be saying the same things? And then we operate in a world where none of that stuff ever goes away. So if you espouse a certain doctrine, um, you know, that's going to be you for the rest of your life. And Mother Night, I think, does a pretty good job of uh, giving an example of that. Um, You know, he saw that he's Vonnegut saw these things. um, He lived through these things, but he saw it even before, you know, the world we live in now. Where back then, you know, they had the radio recordings. Now we have social media recording everything. Uh, and the last book I wanted to mention was Matterhorn by Carl Marlantes. And I have not really composed a lot of my ideas about, you know, military science fiction as entertainment. Or even military fiction and what it what it says about our current, um, you know, the, the experiences of current soldiers and things like that. Um, I still have a lot of, I haven't really formed my own ideas about it. But... This book is so it's about a marine lieutenant um in Vietnam and I think it's the most one of the most raw um like in the moment books about combat that I've ever I've ever read and it's the relentlessness of it and then ultimately the like it it does like the book does move out of like the scope the perspective does move higher than the lieutenant several times but um, I think I've never finished a book about Vietnam that made me feel that sort of despair around the meaninglessness of the war um, as deeply as, as this book does. And it's, it's masterful. I don't really know. If you write any kind of military fiction, I think that um, you do well to read this book. I listened to it, and then I read it. Um, and uh, Marlantes, you know, hasn't written a lot of other things, but his prose, especially his descriptions of combat and um the sensory the senses around combat and the emotions tied to um the just the tasks and the the things that must be done um, it was uh yeah I, I still i think about this book quite often um, it had a huge impact on me so uh so yeah those were some standout books for me um My goals for next week, uh, really, this is holiday week. So we've got um, some family events to get through and then I've got some time off from work. So I'm just, you know, nose to the grindstone grindstone writing, just trying to get get writing done so I can get to um, get most of this book uh, done going into 2019. And I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be it's going to be fun. And then actually, after this, I am doing a Facebook Live reading um, from the Proteus Bridge because the Proteus Bridge is on sale this week, so I thought I'd do a little something as a promotional um, deal, and I will put that audio on the the podcast channel as well so you can check that out. Um, But anyway, thank you very much for listening. Um, If you came in late, my name is James Aaron. I'm a science fiction writer. You can find this podcast at speculative.work or more of me at jamesarron.net slash books, um, or sign up for my email list at jamesarron.net slash list. So again, thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. All right, bye-bye.